you know, one of our company values at BCom is all in all the time. Uh, and that doesn't mean that people work until 11 o'clock at night. That doesn't mean that they get up at 5 a.m. It means that they are committed to 100% of their brain powers focused on how do we grow this company and this organization. And so, you know, I want people that are, are team players, but I also want people that are all in all the time and they're not pursuing five different careers at once, but they're really focused on how do we grow our company. All in all the time. That sounds like a great uh, title for a new book. Uh, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> and it, a tattoo. I don't have one, but. Uh. <laughs> Hi, I'm Ted Zoller, and you're tuned into On the Heels of Innovation, a podcast powered by the Entrepreneur's Genome Project at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. How is it that some people are successful in pushing their ideas further and faster than the rest of the world? What characteristics do they share? Which skills did they work to hone? And what lessons have they uncovered through each step forward and back that can inspire you to accelerate your own ideas for a business or venture? This podcast will explore the perspectives, insights, and journeys of innovators and entrepreneurs who combine creative thinking and perseverance to go beyond the expected. On the Heels of Innovation is powered by the Entrepreneur's Genome Project, which is a research initiative that I lead with my students in the Entrepreneur's Lab class at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, revealing the DNA that makes up successful entrepreneurs. Welcome to the On the Heels of Innovation, and this is one of my favorite uh, interviews ever because I'm with one of my favorite entrepreneurs, Brent Comstock. Brent was a student here at UNC Chapel Hill, and I had an opportunity to work with him as a student, and he emerged to be one of the most important leaders in our work in entrepreneurship at Carolina, uh, largely because he's got a vision bigger than most people that you'll ever meet. Um, and Brent, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, Brent, I would love for you to start out with um, a way to describe your story in your own words, because any introduction would frankly pale in comparison. Sure. So I, uh, I'm a Nebraska native entrepreneur uh, who, who came to UNC, but largely my, my entrepreneurial journey started before I came to UNC. And it was really in, in a short synopsis version is described as finding a way to connect people that are disconnected. So uh, in the work that we did at BCom Solutions, we're providing digital resources to campaigns, causes, and companies that are, are largely underserved, uh, rural political campaigns, uh, uh, and companies that are kind of overlooked. And then in my last, uh, latest kind of venture at Change Ventures is the, the chief operating officer uh, as a, a lead in uh, the venture capital firm that's investing in the Baltic region. So in area of Europe that uh, has a lot of innovation taking place but again is kind of disconnected from the larger ecosystem and so that's been you know what we've found to be successful at all of our ventures is largely rooted in how do we find people that are often overlooked because of geographic constraints or because of the location of, of the nearest Starbucks or how many stoplights are in a community and then how do you build a, a coalition behind that and as it turns out there are a lot of people that are fit those criteria and we've made a business out of it. Well, you're the ideal person to ask because um, you started BCom when you were 12 years old. And, uh, you know, the question that vexes a lot of people are, are founders a rare beast? You know, are these mythical people? Uh, and, in, you know, I guess I'm going to ask you a second question, but what characteristics do you most associate with entrepreneurism? If you use a set of descriptions to describe the founder process. 
what would those characteristics be? Yeah, I think uh, a team player is critical, uh, as and I, I have seen that more and more over the course of the last several years as our company has grown. Uh, an ideator can be a single person. Uh, a, a founder is a single person, but an actual entrepreneur that scales and it takes a problem and scales it to a solution, uh, you can't do that on your own. Uh, and so I would say the biggest characteristic is a team player, and then also uh, expecting this in in line with that, expecting the same uh, set of standards that you would expect for yourself for other people. So I was telling someone earlier today at lunch that. When I find someone as a team member, or even if they're not ready to be a team member, I can almost immediately figure out if they fit into the jigsaw puzzle, uh, but I don't want to remove them from the puzzle. Uh, and so I want to figure out how do we grow them, how do we make them achieve the same amount of success that I've achieved as the founder, and as a result, you know, one of our company values at BCom is all in all the time. Uh, and that doesn't mean that people work until 11 o'clock at night. That doesn't mean that they get up at 5 a.m. It means that they are committed to 100% of their brain powers focused on how do we grow this company and this organization. And so, you know, I want people that are, are team players, but I also want people that are all in all the time and they're not pursuing five different careers at once, but they're really focused on how do we grow our company. All in all the time. That sounds like a great uh, title for a new book. Uh, no kidding. Uh, and a it, tattoo. I don't have one, but... Uh. <laughs> I understand. You know, uh, a corollary question to what I just asked are the old adage, are entrepreneurs born or made? Mm -hmm. And having been an entrepreneur since an early point in your life, could you tell us a little bit about how you might answer that question and what are some of the influences that um, ultimately led you to entrepreneurship? I, yeah, absolutely. I think there are characteristics that are born. Uh, you know... If you are an ambitious person when you're 16 or 17 or 10 or 12, uh, you're probably going to be an ambitious person when you're 30 or 40 unless life kicks you on, which is, happens to a lot of people. Uh, but I think that ambitious tenacity is a trait of an entrepreneurship that is certainly more born than made. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, there are so many books and uh, ideologies that say, you know, better, faster, cheaper is, is who wins in the entrepreneurial world. And I've, we've seen that firsthand. Uh, and and so I think those are things that you have to scale, and it doesn't matter how great your characteristics are that you're born with. If you think that you can go slower or more expensive or uh, uh, less effective than other people, you're going to get beat. Uh, and I think in this world, it's no longer entrepreneur versus entrepreneur, but it's entrepreneur versus machine or bot um, <laughs> or a drone. Um, and in our case at BCom, it was entrepreneur or our company versus no action because we weren't competing against another digital firm. We weren't building a digital company that was better than the one down the street. We were the only one in about a 75-mile radius. Uh, so that was a challenging feature that we had to sell to our customers. And those are the types of things you're not born with, uh, that you have to hone them and you have to work on them and work with other people on them to, to perfect them into to who you are as a leader. Maybe this is a little bit of a deviation, but you know, I hear a sense of competitiveness. You know, <laughs> and maybe the competitiveness isn't against uh, a, you know, a competitor or a company that might be in the same market, but is it kind of a competitiveness for yourself? Yeah. Kind of to challenge yourself to excellence? Yeah. I want to win. Yeah. Uh, at everything. And yeah. to a fault. Uh, but, uh, you know, and it's the same thing with our team. You know, I don't want a, a content person or an ad person or a graphic design person uh, to be a person. I want them to be an expert. Uh, and and the, another value at our company is bold. 
uh, and I want people to push the boundaries because I'm going to keep pushing boundaries, uh, whether that's internally or externally, and I want the people that are surrounding us to do the same thing. Such a great answer. Uh, I'm glad we have it on tape. Um, I'm curious, you know, to the extent, and you answered the question along the lines of, entrepreneurs have maybe a genetic characteristic, but there are definitely pieces that you can develop. Right. If you were to develop kind of a transitioning entrepreneur, what experiences should a new, new or nascent entrepreneur seek mm. to prepare themselves? Failure. Yeah. Uh, purposeful failure. Uh, purposeful failure. So find an opportunity that the odds are less than 50% going to be successful. And uh, if you aren't successful, great, you fit in with the odds. Uh, and if you are successful, then that's probably the thing that you should be building a business around. Um, but when you feel and experience that failure um, firsthand, that's when you know if entrepreneurship is ready and right for you. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't experience that, and you know we're fortunate enough, to, we're a bootstrapped company owned by one person, so we don't have the board uh, structure or the venture capital structure uh, at Becom, and so failure has hurt a little bit more because uh, we didn't have as many rules and regulations that we had to follow when we were getting started, and it were it was at the point where we thought we were at our rock bottom, where we you know came up with strategic plans, we came up with our values when we thought that we had an unsustainable business model. We added new team members when we realized that if we wanted to get where we were going, we were going to have to invest in, in people. Um, so I would say the first thing is for an entrepreneur wannabe uh, or a grooming, budding entrepreneur to find an opportunity for failure. Um, I have not done research on this, but I found a lot of entrepreneurs uh, tend to um, find themselves in challenging situations between their venture and uh, their personal life, too. Um, you know, it's it's harder to be an entrepreneur with a wife and three kids. Uh, I don't speak from experience, but I speak from knowing people on our team that have spouses and have children, um, as well as uh, uh, people in the community. I mean, that competitiveness to want to win, uh, you have to put that first. And if you have children and, and other things that, you know, not to sound petty, but that are getting in the way of that goal, it's harder. Um, it certainly creates conflict. And it, it, yes, and it adds a roadblock that other people might not have. Um, and then the second thing that I would say in terms of what should they seek out um, are mentors. Um, I, by the time, and I say this not to toot our own horn at BCOM, but to, to just say, you know, i we built a company that had sustainable revenue models, that was profitable, that was employing people. Uh, we received a congressional award, and we're probably one of the youngest individuals to receive a congressional award by the United States Congress ever by the time I graduated from college. Um, I think college is valuable, and that's probably a whole other podcast of how does <laughs> the college education and entrepreneurship combine and correlate with one another. But it, the, what got us to where we were were the mentors the people that were willing to say, hey, someone helped me when I was where you were at, now I wanna help you. Uh, and so I think, you know, if you find failure and you find mentors, I don't think you can go wrong. Fantastic. You know, um, you suggest that uh, you have to put yourself out of your comfort zone as an entrepreneur. Maybe not go for something that's safe, something that's certain, maybe for something that's uncertain. How do you think about risk? I know a lot is made about risk, but do you calculate it? Do you mitigate it? Do you accept it? Do you use it as a tool? So we work with politicians a lot, so risk is always, 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's like the proposal is headlined risk. Um, and if you're smart, the S is turned into just a dollar sign instead. Um, but, you know, I'm not, bl I, I tend to be, I, I come up with shiny objects a lot. Our team calls, our management team calls them shiny objects. And as the founder and as the visionary of our company, uh, if I wasn't coming up with those shiny objects, then I probably wouldn't be the founder and the visionary. But at the same time, uh, every day you wake up knowing that there are X number of people on your payroll, X number of people that depend on you for health insurance, X number of people on the customer side that you know, if we're building a digital platform for a company that's going to have 48,000 people log onto a website in three hours, if that website doesn't load, then that's on you ultimately as the person that's running the company or owns the company. And so I, I take risk and in, in kind of, I work to mitigate it in a way that uh, it almost seems like we're planning for it uh, overly in an overly cautious way. So, um, you know, invest in the best technology because if you invest in the worst technology, you're probably making yourself more prone to risk. Is it cheaper to use crappier technology? Yeah, invest in the best people. Is it cheaper to have interns versus full-time employees or contractors versus full-time employees with benefits and pensions and what have you? Probably, yeah, but um, that's a risk mitigation strategy that I can come to North Carolina for a couple of days without having to worry, will the office explode while I'm gone? Um, and that's largely because we have great people that are also trained to mitigate risk in a way that uh, uh, helps us move forward. That's a great way to think about it. So risk is beyond uh, how the individual entrepreneur thinks about it, but how the team internalizes it, operationalizes it, mitigates it. Um, you know, we are examining as part of this Entrepreneur's Genome Project kind of the life cycle of entrepreneurship. I know that sounds like a lot uh, to think about, but, you know, we have this thesis about events in your life big breakout moments, moments where you thrive, moments where you um, excel. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the opposite is the moments where you might be challenged or you might fail or you might you know, hit headwinds. Mm -hmm. When you think back of your journey since age 12. 11 years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> at this point, 11 <laughs> years. Um, are there moments where there were big breakouts and are there moments where there were substantial setbacks and can you trace back your journey through those moments? Yeah, I think on the on the on the breakouts, I think meeting those mentors that I I have come to in some way either they were members of our advisory board, our members of our advisory board, or uh, one in one case a mentor that has passed since passed away. Um, meeting those people, um, it was not a contract. Uh, you know, they weren't signing something where it was like. You know, oh, I got a million bucks. Now, that wasn't a, a breakout for me. It, it was in a meeting with those mentors and those people when you meet someone where you just know uh, that they're going to provide you with value. Mm -hmm. uh, those were probably the best breakouts and, and probably can be confirmed by people either on our team or probably my parents because as soon as I got out of those meetings, I would call those people. Mm -hmm. I would call my parents. I would call uh, our, our management team and say, holy cow, I just met. X person, um, and, and they want to help us. Those are the moments where, as the person who not only runs the company and 
leads the company but owns the company, which seems to be in, in competing interests sometimes of the owner's goal versus the, the CEO's goal. Um, because the owner wants to make a lot of money uh, and wants to prime this for the m most potential, and the CEO wants to harness the goals of being bold, authentic, and all in all the time. Um, and so, uh, and they don't, they don't always row in the same direction, even though it's the same person. So I would say the breakout moments were finding people that I knew that, that we were moving forward, and, and largely because those people affirmed it and also poked holes in our strategy or business model, um, and walking away feeling like I was fed in a way that I hadn't been before. Mm. Um, the setbacks, I would say, probably um, being the owner and the founder and CEO, uh, I joke with people, like, I, don't, I don't know, is it better to be called the founder or better be called the CEO or better be, to be called the owner? What, what is the right answer? But when you are all of those things, uh, I get in my own way and our team's way a lot for a variety of reasons. Number one, when we started this, it was just me. And so... Um, systems that were built, strategies that were built, were built on one brain, and I thought, oh, that will just scale times however many people we have. But a one-person system times 10 is not the same as a 10-person system. Um, and so you have to think about how do you grow this company that makes it more sustainable beyond my brain and beyond what I want to do. Um, and, and I think that's that has been important. Uh, and there was something else that I was going to say that I no longer remember. But um, I think that's probably the biggest setback. I mean, you're going to run into people that are going to fire you, or you're going to have to fire people, or you're going to find people along the ways. Those have never been seen as setbacks for me. Um, I think people see them as, and they're certainly stressful. Uh, human resources is my absolute least favorite thing to deal with, mainly because I'm loyal to a fault, uh, and so when that doesn't always work in my favor, it's, uh, you know, I take it personally, uh, and that's not always the case. So, uh, but those setbacks, I think, are the, uh, the biggest things are recognizing that I've done something that is prohibiting the, the growth of the business, either intentionally or unintentionally, and how do you fix that? Uh, and, and that's sometimes a conflict that comes up in, in office discussions. So, Brad, I want to move uh, more toward your experience and your preparation as an entrepreneur. And if you're thinking about building a program that supports the next generation of entrepreneurs and prepares them, how would you go about designing such a program? Uh, does the K-12 education system interfere or support? Does the higher education system interfere or support? And if you um, could design a program to support the next generation of entrepreneurs, how would you go about building it? Yeah, well, I think speaking back to one of the other questions about failure and mentors, I think those would be the two pillars of, of, um, of the program and whatever that looks like. Um, I joked with someone earlier uh, uh, this week about how we, when things are going really well, we feel like we need to make a system around them uh, and we want so that they can scale, right? Entrepreneurship is about how quickly can you scale, how fast can you scale. Uh, and sometimes I think we get we immediately flip, so there's there's entrepreneurship and there's business ownership and management. And they certainly can run parallel sometimes, but business ownership and management is about how do we build a system for every single thing so that there's a handbook for every single thing that you could possibly ever think about. And entrepreneurship is about taking risk in ways that you can't think about and something's going to happen and you're not going to know what to do. And then somehow when entrepreneurship is going well, then we immediately converge to business management and how do we make that better. So I think that probably the best thing would be how do we build 
build a system for mentorship. Uh, and I know, you know, coming and being here at UNC, the Adams program, uh, apprenticeship program was important, and, and just being in the community was important. I think that's the challenge is, okay, we have X alum of either a university or X alum of a program. Maybe it's an accelerator or just someone who lives down the road. How do we set up them and that person that's been successful to want to come back on their own to be that mentor? The best mentors that I've had are the ones that have walked in some sort of shoes similar to mine. Um, and usually, I mean, if I want to be a successful entrepreneur, that would imply that my mentor would be a further along successful entrepreneur, which makes it harder for them to get engaged. So how do you provide a mentorship base that's consistent, that makes that entrepreneur feel, that growing entrepreneur feel like they have a relationship with someone? Um, and then the failure piece I think is really hard because uh, you, know, you spend money to grow yourself professionally, whether you go to college or whether you go to an accelerator or whether you go to you know a variety of different things, someone is paying for you to go somewhere. And I think the challenge is, do we, and if you can't afford it, or you start and you're able to afford it, let's say you're an entrepreneur and you get through half of the year and then you realize, oh crap, my business has grown and my GPA is tanking and I'm gonna lose my scholarship. I won't mention someone that had a similar story like that, but uh, <laughs> glad there isn't a mirror in here. Um, but at that point, the, the struggle becomes kind of crisis mode of, of am I focusing my energy on the thing that is going to help me grow the best? Because at that point, I just want to stabilize. And so how do you build failure that allows someone to learn from it in a way that they don't dread? Um, I came through the UNC system and, and loved almost every minute of it, uh, and particularly the moments that involved uh, basketball, of course. Uh, <laughs> and coming from Nebraska, I was like, you know, you basketball. Like yeah, basketball. What's this? We do football. So I now have a full calendar of teams that I can support. Um, but I think finding a way to let people also be intellectually curious. Uh, so I did a lot of studying of religion when I was here at UNC and, and through the program I was in, uh, spent some time at Duke. And so religious studies to me was not uh, preparation to be a pastor. Uh, it was more expanding my mindset so that I had a different perspective on life. And in this case, when I went back to Nebraska and moved back after I graduated, how did I leverage the entrepreneurial experiences that I had business classes, sales classes, highly recommend people take a sales class. Um, and then also, so I was I was driven because I felt like I came with a toolbox on the left that was allowing me to do business better, more efficient. And on the right, I was coming with a toolbox that I had useless information about the Virgin Mary that no one else <laughs> in Lincoln, Nebraska probably has. But that was something that was really important to me because I was constantly honing my skills. And that's something that I think an active entrepreneur is constantly doing, just like an athlete would constantly practicing, rehearsing, and so forth. You know, I want to bring Nebraska into the story because the first time I met you, we were the, with a common friend and Nebraskan yeah. uh, who introduced me to you, and that was one of the finest introductions of my life, um, having the opportunity to work with you. Um, I'm curious, uh, you have been in international political and business circles at the highest level. Mm -hmm. You could have, you know, easily made the transition like a lot of our talented folks and head to Silicon Valley or to a major hotspot or to um, uh, maybe a financial capital like London or New York or sure. Paris or what have you, but you decided to go back to Nebraska. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, first, the values in Nebraska and how that benefited yeah. you, and then how you see your life there re-engaging. Yeah. 
It was a hard adjustment to go. So I, I spend, I, I tell people I do my laundry in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, I'm traveling most of the year. So when people say, oh, you live in Nebraska, where where are you living? Um, generally, I just say I do my laundry in Lincoln because that's where our office is as well. But mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting because I grew up thinking that Nebraska was the world uh, and diversity of thought, opinion, color of skin, uh, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, those things were talked about in a book, but they didn't exist in the town that I grew up in and the community that I grew up in to, to a, a large degree. You know, we, I, one of my best friends, um, she, she and her family were you know, the first African American family that I had ever met. And, um, so when I, when I grew up there, I thought that Nebraska was the world. Uh, and I thought that everyone else was, you know, just was in the same kind of segment and, and subset, but just in a larger population. And then I came here, and I quickly recognized that uh, part of our challenge as Midwesterners is, and as people that, that come from the heartland of the country is that uh, we are really passionate people, we are loyal people, we are uh, people that care about our neighbors and our friends, and you know, in this case, in, in ag and in industry. Um, but we're also very defensive about, you know, making sure that we stand our ground. You know, Nebraska is Nebraska. We're the best place to be. That's, you know, and people from New York and D.C. can't tell us what to do kind of mentality. And I recognized that the best person to bridge the divide between rural and urban and something I'm super passionate about is the, the rural-urban divide was someone who came from rural, so started small, went urban, and then is now reinvesting back into rural. Because the general path is no, no one ever really goes from urban to rural and then back to urban. If they go from urban to rural, then they wanted to be there for some unknown reason. Um, in my case, though, I, had gr- I, I grew up in a town that had two stoplights. I came to a college campus that in my first economics class, uh, there were more people in that single class than in the entire school system. Uh, and then I am now back in Lincoln and trying to bridge this divide because I think a zip code is simply a number just like your security, social security number. Um, you know, no one walks in and says, all right, I want everyone whose social security number starts with 503 to go to the left and everyone that starts with 601 to go to the right. Like, that's just, it's an identification number that no one thinks about anymore. But for some reason, where, you're, where you live and where you're from and, you know, do you get cell phone service in Nebraska was a question I got a lot. Um, we define that in a different way, and I'm trying to prove that you can build a successful company regardless of zip code. You can build people to be intellectually curious in a way that might not be the norm for the community in which you're existing geographically, but for the community that you're existing more of an industry or global scale. And I'm really passionate about that, and I think it's something that people take the easy road out, and um, I don't like easy roads because my parents instilled in my sister and me from a very early age that you know nothing in life is going to be handed to you and and if it is then you know karma is probably going to come back around um and so i have you know everything that we've built i've never taken for granted or at least try not to and and want to make sure that we, we really focus on who we are and where we're from because where we're from and reflecting on that is going to make it a lot easier to help tell where we want to go. Uh, and I think that's important and a lot of people forget that. Well, we were happy to be part of your story, Brent. We're going to be watching your story as it unfolds. Uh, very fortunate to have you on the heels of innovation and thanks for being, coming back to campus and being Absolutely. with us, Brent. Cool. Thanks for having me.